Hey, it's Phil. I'm coming to you live from a closet in Florence, Italy. I don't think this sounds any better than it did in the hotel room. Sorry. Um, Just wanted to check in. You're not crazy. Totally messed up the episode number when I recorded this intro before I left for my trip. Uh, So it's episode 15 for sure. Just wanted to flag that. Enjoy D. What's up, everybody? Phil Toronto for the Tartar Project, episode 14. Today we have my buddy D. Murthy on, co-founder of 5-4 Group and a million other things that he's going to tell you about over the next hour or so. I'm in LA right now. At, well, not right now, but for this podcast, we recorded this in LA because D and Drama and Anand have this incredible podcast set up, multiple studios. It's definitely a dream for recording, so I really appreciate you guys letting me use it. So thank you. This one was really fun. I think we got a lot of nuggets out of D that I don't think he shared before about the process of building going down to essentially zero rebuilding and just his experience of maintaining what is was a pretty powerful platform at this point and he's been very creative with how he's been building his own brand and how that feeds into 54 success and it's it's definitely working for him one thing that i would like to get better with is actually describing why i'm having a guest on the tartar project because i haven't been doing that I've kind of let the interviews speak for themselves, but there is always a reason for why I want somebody on and I want to have a conversation with somebody and share it with you. For D in particular, it's just amazing the longevity of the brand of 5-4 and they've been at it for 17 plus years, no signs of stopping and he's expanding into various verticals with his own personal brand and 5-4 as well. Really fascinating what he's building there. So that's that's very exciting for me. The fact that he's just working on building these two gargantuan brands between a company and himself. He shares a ton of really valuable insights across the length of the conversation. That was the motivation behind having D on for episode 14. Uh, retroactively, maybe I should go into these descriptions for the other 13 episodes, but uh, going forward, I'm definitely going to get better with the why. Just a quick reminder, you know the drill by now, but please follow me on Spotify. Tell your friends about the Tartar Project. Throw up five stars on iTunes if you like this. Throw up five stars if you don't like this, and maybe you just don't listen again, but hopefully you do like this, and just tell your friends about it because that's how I grow. And Again, thank you so much for even listening to this. If you're hearing this, you're listening, so obviously, but I truly appreciate that you're doing that. It means a lot to me. This is really fun for me still to this day. I appreciate you. D's up next. We're back with the Tartar Project in a very familiar place. This is where episode one was shot. Short story long studio here in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. You shot. I I thought you did that uh, only the audio. Nope. We shot everything. Oh, wow. Full blown. I was shaking. (laughs) Kind of am now because for the listeners out there, if, if the voice isn't recognizable, it will be very soon for you. Number one influencer. Right now, in the streets, <laughs> not rocking a signature tie-dye for the summer yeah. today, taking a break. <laughs> Too much tie-dye the last couple of days. Is what it is. Yeah. He's a member of the government. He's a future Grammy Award winner. Wow. Also a founder of 5-4 Clothing, I guess. Yeah. D. Murthy. Nice intro. Thank you. I like that. It just off, off the dome. <laughs> the freestyle. <laughs> Before we dive too far into it, I'm pretty sure this is going to be episode 16. I'm not sure, Uh, but Seth, you'll adjust that at some point. Um, What's 5-4? 5-4 as far as a business? Yeah. Uh, 5-4 is a school project from 17 years ago at USC that turned into a really interesting fashion group today. it is the original brand we started when we were college students that was a boutique wholesale men's brand that then went into specialty retailers, department stores, global distribution, and then it all came crashing down in 2008. And half our customers went out of business. 
Um, just everything that can go bad happened during the recession. And we reinvented ourselves as a direct-to-consumer business. First was retail stores, failed there. Then a, 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 an e-commerce platform, didn't really work, didn't scale. Then it was a subscription business that we came up with in 2012. Before it was cool. Before it was cool. And that ultimately was what changed our entire business. And it became the largest men's fashion subscription concept. Um, and all, actually all the other ones that are existing out there are probably former employees of mine. <laughs> or yeah, This or, looks like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, or people that we've worked with in the past. But it's really interesting to see uh, that subscription concept kind of led to where we are today, which is damn near 10 brands. It's huge. Yeah. It's like a little LVMH. That I call it the people's LVMH. <laughs> that's fun. For the people, that's good. That's good that you're talking about for the people. Because yeah. could you just give a glimpse into how I introduced you as a government member? Yeah, I uh, recently, which you voted for. I did. You. I did vote for eligibly. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't any of this shady no your chat or anything. You're a community stakeholder. I ran for a public office in Mid City, LA, which is where our office is where we have a weekly run club. It's where I spend all of our time as a family. Uh, it's a neighborhood council, and it was uh, time for me to enter that phase of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And I like that you ran a clean campaign. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't really do any takedown pieces. No hatchet jobs on any of my competition. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. It was it's very above board, which I respect, because that's tough to do in this day and age. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's really funny, because you know, I had the first meeting, and it got so heated and I was like, I'm glad people take it this seriously, but it also shows how personal people take things and it's why so much of life is inefficient. Yep. It's because of personal egos get in the way of things. Completely. Which is, it hurts everyone else in, that, in this case in politics. Yeah. Because they're governing a group of people and their personal egos are driving them to, to make bad decisions. Huh. But we have a hope and a breath of change in the air. Yes, for a, for a four mile radius. <laughs> well, that's okay. It, start, it starts small and then it, it branches out one mile at a time, which I love. We're going to take a few steps back. Uh, we're going to go all the way back to pretty much when you were born. Okay. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a suburb of LA called Granada Hills. Uh, it's in the San Fernando Valley. It's the deepest part of the valley. <laughs> it's called, we call it Deep Valley. And, you know, Pretty traditional suburban town, I would say. Uh, yes, we were very close to LA, probably 15 miles away, but just any town USA vibes. Yeah. Um, parents, obviously, immigrants, uh, grew up going to a public school system in the neighborhood, uh, was always focused on school, played sports. You, did you care about school? Or did you have the option to not care about there school? There was no option not to. Yeah. It, it was always... You had to have good grades. Everyone around me had good grades. My high school, which is now rated the number one public high school in the country. Wow. It's called Granada Hills High School is like, it was really funny. I was explaining this story to someone the other day. I was talking to drama about it on the group chat, actually. Like when I go and speak to a high school for the most part in the inner city, I get blank stares and vice versa. When I was in high school, they had a person who was in gangs in prison and uh, lecturing us about, if you don't go on the right path, your life's going to be over. And I was like, uh, half the room is going to Ivy League. The other half is going to USC. Yeah. Like, not the right audience. You, it's not the right audience. And our, that's kind of the, where I grew up in. It was very academic focus. All of my friends went to top schools. Uh, it was just, we were destined for that. We had worked our whole life for that. And that's all that our parents, our community all we cared about. Like we cared about our grades. We cared about having enough volunteer credits so that colleges would make us look right. good. The whole, have a sick essay. Yeah. The whole, I would say from age six to 18 was prepping for college to get into college. That's all that everyone around me was doing. You had an SAT tutor. I took SAT classes, like, you know, all those things. Yeah. And my parents, that's all they cared about was like, you get an education, the rest, you know, 
yeah, at least you have fallen the place. You fall in the place. And it's it's really interesting because now that I have a child, the way I, I think about the world is so differently. I was like, when you're an immigrant, you are thinking survival. So you teach that to your children where like, we just have to survive. You just have to get a college. You get good grades. You'll have a job and then you can buy a house and you could just make it. Whereas my child... I'm going to push him to explore, be creative, experience everything, and then find your path. Yeah. And that's a big difference because I'm, I'm, I'm in the situation where I can offer that to my child, where if he struggles, I can support him. Yeah. Whereas my parents didn't feel like they wanted to have that for me. They were like, you need to have the baselines of and life. learn it. Yeah. yeah. And drive it home. When you were growing up, were you entrepreneurial or did you have side jobs or anything or did that develop later? Um, I was very entrepreneurial. Uh, I think I think by the age of 13, I was watching CNBC four hours a day, um, reading the Wall Street Journal, uh, obsessed with The Economist, Business Week. I was just completely enthralled with all that stuff. Wow. And I was fortunate who in my high school age was watching the first iteration of the internet. So I was reading about like Jerry Yang uh, taking Yahoo public right out of college, right out of Stanford, uh, watching eBay happen, Amazon happen, Apple finally kind of transformed. All these things were happening when I was paying attention. And it was probably the first time in American business life that we saw really young people become the most powerful and successful people on earth. And that was really interesting. I remember when broadcast.com for Mark Cuban went public yeah. and the company was worth $5 billion on like zero revenue Crazy. and you know, ultimately got bought at, by Yahoo and watching all these young people become like these titans of industry made me realize, oh, world's changed. Anyone can do this now. So I w had all these ideas when I was 16, 17. My first idea was to launch a, I was going for, going to college at USC and I was going to Bed Bath & Beyond. And I was like, man, the whole entire uh, house, home industry needs to go on the internet. Like you couldn't buy those things on the internet in like right. 96, 97. And I was like, I want to be the person to bring Bed Bath & Beyond to the internet. And I would email Bed Bath & Beyond, like, let us let me be your partner and launch you on the internet. Obviously, no one responded. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to do this. Info at Bed <laughs> Yeah. You know what's crazy? In 1996, 98, 99, the CEO would have his email on their websites because no one was going to the websites. Right. I, would, I was talking the craziest, like, like, do you know who Vinod Khosla is? Yeah. The, the legendary investor. His email was on his website. And I emailed him one day and emailed him back. <laughs> Because he could. Yeah, because yeah, there was no one else emailing him probably yeah. at those days. Oh, this is cool. Yeah, I was like, you find it's cool. Yeah, and, and and I ended up getting in. I, I ended up meeting all these people at such a young age. So I started talking to these crazy people. So I got all these ideas. Finally, in 1998, I launched my first business. It was a website called schoolgossip.com. It was a college and high school community on the internet. Whoa. Which I got it up to 100,000 people which is nuts in that That's internet age. Insane. And we were getting acquisitions off. Like, you know, we, we had real traction. Ultimately, falling out with the partners and led me three years later to just walk away. Could have been your first IPO. I mean, what happened was the dot-com burst happened and nobody wanted anything to do with the internet, technology. It, it's so crazy. Like today, every business is technology-driven. When I was graduating college... The internet was not cool. It was it was like stay away from anything internet related. Yeah, people were like, "Don't do technology. Those are, that's for losers. Everyone's broke." Yeah, I had a stock portfolio uh, that was worth seven figures at like nineteen. By twenty one, it was worth zero. Zero hurts. Yeah, like I had every IPO at every like. I had I was like free money and my mom was like sell it sell it sell it I'm like no, no I'm mom you don't know what you're talking I'm about I'm a billionaire yeah and now I got zero I literally like I still have the account as just a reminder there's like thirty six cents in it <laughs> so it's gone up that's good yeah, yeah. that's good thank God it must have been a reverse merger or something yeah crazy. It probably <laughs> but uh, yeah but that's that's where it all started and you know which eventually led to 
what we did today, which is five four. Yeah, and that that started at USC. Yeah, and that was it was a it was a business class, I think. Yeah, we were in this undergrad entrepreneurship program, which is a famous program if you want to be into entrepreneurship, and they really like take the full year in the program to do a feasibility study, develop your idea, and then execute a business plan. Since we were doing fashion, once we had done the feasibility, we we're like, let's just go do this. Yeah. So we launched it on campus, ready to go. Like, and you know, we we had these huge ambitions as college students of launching the American H and M, which at that time we had no idea what that actually meant. Yeah. We just said, why isn't there an American version of this? And you know, fast forward today, we're on that path. We're still seventeen years in, totally. and, but we're accessible fashion for a large audience of people, but not realizing the real trick to all those businesses, H&M and Zara, wasn't the fashion or the brand, it was the supply chain. But we just didn't realize that when we had started the concept. Completely, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's something you have to learn and grow into and everything. Correct. And I'll just, I'll address this head on. D got into USC by his own merits, yeah. the, whole, the hard old fashioned way. Yeah. So don't, don't even get that confused because we glazed over that and I yeah. want to call it out yeah. just direct. <laughs> yeah, you have to say that now, Every, well, especially with that school. Hard out there. Yeah. Um, when you were saying we, who's, who's the we of 5-4? So my business partner is Andres Hisqueta. He was a college roommate of mine. And uh, we did the entrepreneurship program together. And we, weeks before the senior year of uh, uh, school started, we decided to do the project together. We're like, let's write the business plan together. And then we ended up becoming business partners. That's awesome. And then fast forward, you're, you're graduated. You got this business. We're going to run it. Mm-hmm. How was the first year or three? It was, it was really tough. We, you know, obviously the concept of raising money wasn't quite there. Um, I had a credit card that I'd signed up for. Uh, two, five thousand bucks each. We that was our first round of funding. Yep. Um, and then we had to do trade shows, so you had to travel. It was really hard with no, very limited funds, just driving all over the country. It it was just hard to like get anyone's attention to pay attention to you. And that's when we realized that, you know, about a year or two into it, we started realizing. I was like, oh, it's like, it's like. Being popular, you know how in school you want to be popular? You have to, It's a popularity contest the rest of your life. 100%. And people don't like to view it like that, but that's exactly what it is. So we, we're like, how do you be popular in fashion? Either celebrities have to wear your product, you have to have this amazing product, all those types of things, or you have to be friends with all the retailers. That was the easiest thing for us to do because we had the personalities that like connected with people. So we kind of... Went, I mean, we like partied our way to becoming friends with all these retailers that built our business. And even when we had to travel, it was people kept seeing my face. They're like, oh, you're in Philly again. You're in Baltimore. Yeah. You're in Atlanta. You're in Detroit, you're in Chicago. Then all of a sudden they trust you. They're gonna like, here's an order. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden the, the product slowly starts selling. And that's, and it just took so long for us to realize that. The first few years was really, really difficult. Really, no money, real no traction. I, I wouldn't, you know, until we got our first investor, which is about four years in, three years in, we didn't really have any traction. Right. And so it was really hard for us to even, you know, survive. It, yeah. it was like my parents were, you know, I, I had they'd set up like a savings account for me. I just like broke into it. Yeah, and I was like, I, I'm like, I have no, I can't Need inventory. Yeah. You rent. Like I couldn't yeah. even like survive. I had, we literally had no money. And luckily I had friends that were like very supportive and, and, and things like that. But like, it was, it was really tough. It was like mentally really tough too. Oh, definitely. Cause you graduate from college and you're like, Oh, I'm going to go do it on my own. And you're just, you're just losing. Yeah. Day in, day out. Yeah. Like I, I saw this business stuff. I had a portfolio that was worth a million dollars at yeah. one point. Yeah. I fucked up. Yeah. And then, you know, you have friends who have jobs. They all, you know, they all went and worked at consulting companies and banking. And yeah. They started making real money. Covering you for dinner sometimes. Yeah. And and so it's tough. Mentally, it was a really challenging time of life. But, you know, we ended up finding our first investor that kind of helped us facilitate our first level of growth. And how did, how did you find that first investor? What was the process? Because, I mean, 
you you had a general understanding and you were leaps and bounds ahead of me when I had my first company. I didn't even know you could take a private investment for yeah. the most part. How how did you seek them out or did they seek you out or what, it, it how did that come to be? Cra crazy, crazy uh, series of events. I had a customer in uh, a skate shops, two, three skate shops out in uh, Riverside, which is a deep suburb of LA. And they had a hub in downtown LA where you had to deliver the clothes. I delivered the clothes one day and this Korean dude comes up to me and goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm delivering clothes for interstate. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. I run interstate. And he's like, what's your brand? Five, four. He's like, let me see this shit. Show it to him. And he goes, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm like, you guys bought it. And he's like, there's no way this garbage is going to sell. He, I'm like, all right, where do I pick up a check? He's like, over there, pick up a check. I leave. I go back, tell my business partner, Andres. I'm like, dude, this guy just destroyed the yeah. collection. Fast forward six months later, I go drop off another package. And he's like, why are you here? And I'm like, you guys reordered. Still buying. Yeah. And he's like, what? He's like, it's sold? He's like, yeah. And he's like, who are you? And I'm like, my name's D. Yeah. I'm like, I'm from Granada Hills. And he's like, no way. I went to Granada Hills High School. I was like, really? And he's like, man, this is such a loser high school. I can't believe anyone's actually doing anything. So when he went, it was a very different high school. Yeah. He was 10 years older than me. And he was like, he's like, no one from Granada does anything, bro. I was like, okay. Yeah. So he brings me into his office. He's smoking inside of his office. So at that time, I'm 20. Uh, three, 24, he's 33, 34. He has a Porsche. He's got like a fat Rolex. Yeah, this guy's he's got it all figured walking out. Off, walking around my clothes and like literally walking on him. Like he stepped on the hoodies and the t-shirts, like so <laughs> disrespectful. And he's like, man, he's like, Do you, he's like, how are you selling this? I'm like, we get a lot of press. We were like in the first ever issues of Complex and Fader and all those magazines used to show us mad love. And I was like, we have a little buzz in the streets. And he's like, how much business do you do? I'm like, I don't know, 80K last year. And he's like, man, you guys, you guys don't have a lick of talent, but it's impressive that you've gotten this far. And it's I very direct. Yeah, very direct. Fast forward, we're completely broke a few months later. Like not a pot to piss in, can't even afford anything production. Andres goes, why don't you go ask that guy for help? I'm like, why? That guy hates us. Yeah. He just, he's like, go ask him. He's like, I'll, I'll put together a booklet and let's go meet him. I'm like, hey, can we come meet you? He's like, sure. Go meet him, present him. And he goes, all right, I'll help you. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, I'm about to launch a new brand with the manufacturer. I'm going to go talk to him. He's like, come back tomorrow and let's all meet with him. We're in the meeting. This guy who I've known, met him three times in my life goes to the manufacturer he's going to partner with and goes, this is our new partner on the new brand. And he's like, what? I thought I'm launching a brand with you. He's like, if you don't do a brand with them, if you don't finance 5-4, I'm done with you. I was like, we were looked at each other like, what? No reason. He Granada just did. Hills, bro. Yeah. Granada Hills. Got to pick you up. Yeah. And so he, on the spot, negotiated a deal and they bought into half, they financed, they took, became our business partners, half our business. And they started financing our business. Wow. And we grew from an 80 grand business to, I don't know, seven, eight million bucks in the next couple of years. That's amazing. And ultimately they went into financial kind of trouble. And I found another family office that bought them out. And they've been our partners now for 12 years. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What, how did you navigate the family office circuit? That also chance, um, it's actually another Korean guy. He, um, <laughs> They're very I grew, good so to you. Granada Hills is predominantly Korean. Got so it. I grew up with a lot of Korean friends. And I end up uh, telling a guy that makes our labels. I'm like, hey, man, shit's about to go down here. They're in bad shape. I got to buy them out. He goes, I have a friend. He's an ex-TPG uh, guy. He's looking to make some investments. Why don't you go talk to him? I'm like, okay. Talk to him, tell him. And he's like, cool, this is interesting. Not really my forte, but there's a family office that I would, my old bosses, uh, they've been looking at a bunch of apparel. Maybe they're interested. So fast forward, he brings, uh, we, we all meet each other. They don't 
hadn't done anything in the apparel space at the time, but they just liked us. And they're like, yeah, we'll give it a shot. And I think within 60 days, I think within 30 days, we got a deal done. Wow. They bought them out. And then unfortunately they bought us, bought into the business in 2007. One year later, our entire business went kaput. Yeah. Well, not totally. I mean, yeah, but, but it went to the crowd. Yeah. yeah. And so just like that portfolio. Yeah. So back to square one. And, but fortunately they were like, really, they're such great people and they've always believed in us and has, have, they gave us that like second life. Yeah. And we were able to build all these brands in really in 2008 when they came on board. And thankfully, I mean, you had a, a couple data points where it wasn't just you and how you were operating the business for 2008. Yeah. Too, so you could fall back on that. A exactly. And then how did you, how did you weather that storm in 2008? Like when shit was going south and everything, how, how did you a have the drive to keep the lights on? Because I assume you were flying high ahead of that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh shit. How'd you do that? Yeah. It, it was, it was really tough. Uh, you know, our, my brother was our CFO, is our CFO still. My business partner and I, we would just sit every day and beg vendors, uh, cut expenses. We end up doing, uh, we didn't, we had, we didn't want to lay people off. So we started doing half day Fridays, half day this, yeah, just to cut payroll. And we just did everything we could to survive. Like, we made payment plans with everybody. There's there's some plans we just paid off like two years ago. Yeah. Because we were like, they're still going to agree to $500 a month. Fuck it. We'll just sure. keep paying them. Why like not? That. Yeah. So great for cash flow. Yeah, exactly. So we ended up uh, um, just going and sitting down with everyone and said, look, these are your options. If we go out of business, everyone gets zero. Yeah. If you, we stay in business, you, everyone will get paid. Yeah. We want to pay you. Yes. We're not trying to screw anybody. We're just in a bad, bad situation. And yeah, every, it w wasn't easy. Every conversation was very, very hard, but we got through it. Yep. And uh, we were very, very patient with everybody. And they would yell and scream at us and we would- Take it. Take it. They would, we would get the craziest faxes because that's how you would send invoices. Of course. Like, you know, give me my money, motherfuckers. I'm going to burn this down. Yeah. And be like, well, that's insurance yeah, like money. So maybe you should. Yeah. yeah like you, we could save us all a lot of yeah, money. Please. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's really how we did it. And then in 2009, we met Drama and launched Young and Reckless. Which and, is also a crazy story. Yeah. Because that turned the tables a little bit. And you actually turned into the Korean guy, I yeah. think. Yeah. With the retailer. Yeah, exactly. And uh, could, you, could you actually paint that picture? The retailer was PacSun. Yeah. Drama was season two, season three. He was three, about to I start think. season two of Fantasy Factory. Yep. And they, I mean, he was going to be written into the, well, yeah, he's going to be written into the storyline more. He had this opportunity to launch this brand. Yeah. First, he tried to shake you down for a sponsorship. Yeah. You said, fuck off. Yeah. As you should. <laughs> yeah, but a, a blossoming business came to be, and uh, there you are, pounding the table. Yeah, and, and it just kind of, you know, I always, our story has unlimited lives. And even when we hit these crazy roadblocks, which every few years we just do, it's just inevitable. Cyclical. Yeah, it just happens. We come up with the way out of it every single time. And Young and Reckless is one of those situations where there was a relationship that I had with his former manager for damn near 10 years at that time where he was like, why don't we do this together? We'll, let's, we'll meet drama and let's see if we can make this happen. And it was like at that time, why not? We were throwing darts and we needed yeah. something and it luckily hit. And we were off to the races. I mean, it just happened so fast. Uh, I think we launched it on like August 2009. By like September, it was the best selling brand because the show was so powerful at yeah. that time. I mean, I, I was tuned in. Yeah. Me and all my friends at 35 Harding. Yeah. Shout out, guys. <laughs> um, and Deke kind of glossed over it a little bit, but he literally forced Paxson to put Young and Reckless in every door. Yeah. Or he was going to walk. Yeah. It was literally uh, an interesting because the show was so powerful and me and my sales guy walked into every retail in America, Paxson, Tilly's, Journeys. I mean, we sold the first season. I sold everybody because I was like, I don't know which one's going to work. But we said the only way we could do it is it has to be all stores. 
If it's not all stores, we're not interested. Yeah. And every single retailer agreed to it. And PacSun kind of was at a, it was fortuitous. They were at a transition point. They were looking for a new brand and we just so happened to be it. Yeah. And so as soon as we saw PacSun scaling, we are like, we told everyone else, okay, kick rocks. This is our partner. And we went, you know, 10 years later, we're still doing business with them. Probably one of the only brands that are still at scale after 10 years and a very trend driven, oh, yeah, brand fickle kind of market that we're still in there in their kind of good graces. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like you and drama have done a good job of keeping young and reckless evolving. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, that's definitely a piece of the success. Yeah. And I think for that brand, it just has to always stay young. Yeah. It's not like with the five, four and the Menlo's club that's evolving with me, which is great. Like it's for, uh, for the foreseeable future, I can be the face of that brand Yeah, because my customer is growing up with me. Whereas Young and Reckless has to stay young. It just can't, it can't be like a 25-year-old guy's brand. It has to be like a 17-year-old guy's brand. Yeah. And it's good that you know that. Yeah. Was Young and Reckless the first non-5-4 brand? Like the first foray into yeah. trying something that new? That was the first time we ever really took any um, risk outside of 5-4 and trying something different. You know, we had played around with different ideas, but during the recession is when we were like, we got to try something else. Yeah. Maybe 5-4 is just not darts. it. Yeah. And then Young and Reckless is on lock. You got that that deal secured. What was the next brand after that that you you dabbled in? So the next brand really didn't happen until three years ago. And that was New Republic. Yep. The shoe brand. Um, that was a result of the subscription business taking off. And the customer asking us for more product. They're like, do you guys sell shoes? Do you guys sell activewear? Do you sell sunglasses? And we're like, huh. And th this remains to be seen if this was the right strategy, the wrong strategy. Other people would have gotten third-party brands. We were just, we just knew how to make everything. So we were like, why don't we just make it? Yeah. Um, the good part about that is we controlled it. We decided how we wanted to build the brand and control the supply chain. The negative part about it was tons of working capital got eaten up, which ultimately did impact our cash flow, yeah. which was a really big growing pain for our business. But it was New Republic. And then seven months later, we launched Grand AC, which is activewear. And then we launched- Which is the sponsor of the Run Club, which I am a part of, which yes. is how I was able to legally vote <laughs> yes, exactly. in your election. <laughs> part of the community, guys. Yeah. Part of the community. Exactly. And so- you know, those are the, the, the next couple of brands we launched. And then most recently were, uh, so what interesting that happened, the business exploded. We built the infrastructure for a hundred million dollar plus business. We started seeing some bumps in the road and we were like, customer acquisition costs were rising so high. We were like, how we need to scale back our spend. We can't grow at this pace anymore, uh, profitably. Because we, we only took money 12 years ago. Right. We haven't taken money since. So everything has to be done profitably, otherwise not able to be done. And at that time, it didn't make sense to spend. So we really tailed back our spend. But we had the infrastructure for a very large business. So we're like, how do we kind of service people? How do we take advantage of this infrastructure? So we started, we're like, should we launch new brands? Should we do 3PL for others? So we effectively started two parts of a business. One is incubating some new brands, finding the next big brand. Uh, so we ended up kind of launching three, three, three projects. And then we also started uh, doing 3PL, for, uh, which is shipping, fulfillment, customer service for a bunch of other partners. Yeah. So esports teams, celebrities, they're all building their brands and businesses. They all need that support and help. And it's not just your traditional like, oh, you ship for me but I'll also show you how to make it cheaper. Totally. as For free as part of the service. Yeah. You know, like help actually these brands grow. Would you also take them on as like a white label type thing where if they didn't want to learn how to make it cheaper, they'd just pay you to do it? So then that's how we ended up licensing one of the businesses. And we're like, we'll just do this business. We see that it's working. Let's just do it. You guys go and do what you do best. Yeah, collect so, your checks. Yeah, exactly. So- there's all kinds of different models, but essentially we're becoming a platform. 
And, you know, you asked me a question earlier, like, how did you know all the content you're doing and everything you're doing is working? It's because of the opportunities I'm getting. And the opportunity today is all, a lot of people who want to do fashion in LA, I end up meeting with, and there's a way for me to connect with them and help them in some capacity. It could be doing production for them. It could be doing fulfillment for them. It could be running their website. It could be doing everything. Yeah. But that's where we think we belong. The, the day of the mega brand is over. Like when we launched, we wanted to be Ralph Lauren. We wanted to be J. Crew Gap. I don't think there'll ever be brands like that ever again. That, that, because the main reason why is customer has choice today. Customer can wear whatever they want. When we were growing up, we just wore what was in front of us. Yeah. Like, oh, we walked by the mall is Gap. Okay, we all wear Gap. That looks like, good. Yeah. And it was, you were forced to wear kind of, we were, whatever options we yeah. were given. Or you went to Hot Topic or you yeah. went to one other store, but it, yeah. was, it was segmented within that mall. Yeah, within that mall. And then all the retail, they were all national retailers. It was not, you know, today you're into gaming and lacrosse. There's probably a brand for you. Probably. There's probably a lacrosse gaming brand. Yeah. And so if you're that person, you can just buy clothes from that guy. Yeah. And you're sell- probably getting targeted on Instagram for that anyway. Exactly. And you're going to convert. Exactly. So I think, I don't think that, you know, when we launched Five Four, we thought we were going to be the next great American brand. We feel we are the, you know, a great American brand, but we're not going to reach the scale, at least today. Maybe that changes a few years from now. Yeah, I mean, the but business no, seems to continue to evolve. I mean, it's 17 years in and you're trying new shit. Like, that's, yeah, that's awesome. It's just impossible for everyone to think the same nowadays. So the reality is, is we're going to evolve into a platform and really be a house of brands. And right. And some of these brands are going to meant to be small. Like we have a luxury shoe brand, LS Gray. Maybe it peaks at 5 million bucks. I don't know. And it just, it is what it is, but it's a very profitable, healthy, it's social clout. It's a lot of other things. Yeah. That having that brand adds to the portfolio and selling a $650 shoe. It's, it's tough to scale, Yeah, but there's a market for it. There definitely is. And that's interesting. And I mean, like you said, Five Four is evolving with you as a human being. So yeah. the New Republic shoes, they're upscale shoes, yeah. and but not an upscale price tag, yeah. thankfully. Grand AC with the athleisure, well, athletic apparel wear and yeah. athleisure, so hot right now. Did that spark your interest into fitness? Is that when you started like running and taking it seriously? Because now, now you're definitely a runner. Yeah, through and through. I mean, you got to run club. You have a 75 mile challenge. Uh, do you do that monthly or is that kind of every we, once in a we while? We do it every six months. So the months where we ship Grand AC in the package for members, we do a run challenge to keep the customer more engaged. Um, so that's how we I came up with that idea. Randomly, I posted it on social media two years ago where I was like, it was the first of October. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to run 75 miles this month. Does anyone else want to run with me? If you do, well, I'll give you a prize at the end of it. And like a thousand people did it. And I was like, holy what? shit, a thousand <laughs> people just off like one Instagram video. So that became, it, has, it now has like a following where a lot of people like look forward to it. It's like, a, it's just become like a thing amongst our customers and just people in general. And, you know, running's always been a part of my life, probably since I was about 30 years old. And then- I always knew that I wanted to be in, in the athletic wear business. Originally, Grand AC was supposed to be athleisure wear. Really competitive. Couldn't really make noise. Yeah. So in the la- a year ago, we were like, how do we stick out? And I said, everyone is going vague athleisure wear concept. I want to go super niche and it may alienate people, but at least you stand for something. And I said, I want to be a running brand. And Double down on that. Triple down on that even. I, and I, I even, I'll take it one step further. I want to be a running band for people that run outside. I don't even want people who wear, you know, uh, run on treadmills to wear my shit. Yeah. Because it's not free. It's, it, when we have redesigned our short, which is finally coming out in, in August. It is, in my opinion, the best running short out in the market. And it's taken us six months to get there. But like, that's what I want to cornerstone product to be about, about running, be great at running. And then if it evolves back into athleisure wear, but it's athleisure for the runner. 
Yeah. You know, cause it, it, to me, you can't be this broad concept in marketing anymore because everyone has a very specific interest. So you have to cater to them. And it's interesting that while you were saying that it kind of jumped out when you are thinking about creating a brand, what's, what's your process? Like, do you lock yourself in a room and you have an industry that you want to kind of tackle or what, how, how do you go, aha, this is the next slot in the five, four portfolio. So I think a lot of it uh, internally is very opportunistic driven. So we saw a gap in the footwear market for where New Republic sits, where there's all these great styles being made by designer brands. And for whatever reason, at the lower price point, there's nothing that looks and feels like the quality of New Republic. And it's not that it's impossible. You can do it. You just have to have some scale. And we just saw a gap. And in pricing too, in my view on pricing, this is where we see an interesting opportunity. You either have to be accessible and affordable or luxury. If you're in the middle, you're dead. Yeah. And no one knows what you are. Yeah. And so there's a, in the shoe business today, there is a dozen or so DTC shoe brands. They're in no man's land, in my opinion. They're going to struggle to scale because if you're going to spend $200 on some no-name internet brand, might as well spend $300 and get a designer brand. There's entry-level designer shoes for $300. Yeah. You know, or get a pair of Yeezys for $300. So it's just, it, you know, at, at our prices at $89, $99, it's a no-brainer. You can't find anything like it. Nope. And even Aldo has shoes for one seventy five, two hundred. Uh, a lot of the DTC brands, they're selling shoes for three, three fifty. I mean, for four fifty, you can get Common Projects. You can get a entry level Gucci shoe. Yeah, like some Saint Laurent. Yeah, and so that's where a big part of where we come from is. We like to think about price a lot. Where does it fit in the market? And then what unique story can we tell, either from a product standpoint or a brand standpoint? Um, and, and kind of go from there. And then recently when we partner with creatives, we really are looking for, does this person have the marketing power to market this brand? Because there's something to say about product, which is great. I think it's really important to have great product, but if it comes with marketing power, like their status as who they are in the industry or their relationship with the right people, those types of things, though, that's equally as important for us. Definitely. And I think you've you've found and experienced more so than anybody. Um, well, maybe not globally, but yeah. that that's overarching. That's a little too much praise. I've been yeah. very <laughs> generous so far. But there is a difference between having a massive following and being an influencer. Yeah. And the difference is there could be somebody with a massive following. Hey, I want to create a brand. I saw XYZ person on Instagram did that. Their swimwear line's doing great. I have a ton of followers but their engagement on their posts has been shit because yeah. like they either bought followers or something. They're not getting the views. I think you touched on it on group chat a month, a month and a half ago. There was some influencer making a, a pleading video because she or he didn't sell like 30 pieces yeah. of their garment because they don't actually have influence yeah. whatsoever. So how do you, how do you weed out people when you're looking to partner with like a person with a big following or an influencer or something. I think uh, it's, there's not like a, I get pitched an influencer brand like twice a week and I can actually, I think maybe just by experience now, but I can go on their social media. I can uh, see who they're associated with. So like we mainly play in men's fashion. We predominantly play either in the street luxury space or accessible fashion. In streetwear, there is one subset of people that control all of the popular culture. If you're not affiliated with those people, we wouldn't work with you. Right. Straight up. Right? Because I know that those people influence our artists, celebrities, retailers. So it's like, if you want to go down that road, you need to be part of that community. Um, when you talk about women's fashion and like women's influencers, there's 
the, the question that you always have to ask, why is someone following this person? Are they following them because the way they look? Are they following them because they gain some information out of them? Or are they following them because they like their style? So like in fashion, there are fashion influencers. There's people that people follow just to see what they wear. Those people you could start brands with. Yeah. Because they clearly have a style aesthetic about them that their follower enjoys. There's people who have the biggest, I've talked to the people with the biggest followings on the internet. I would never do a brand with them. Because I know that that's not the reason why people are following them. Because they may, they, they get people to laugh or they play video games well or whatever. Or they, they do tricks. It yeah. should, but doesn't mean that you're going to convert on apparel. Hey, buy my t-shirt. Yeah. Nah. Exactly. So he, that's the difference. He's like, you really need to only, for us, the bar is like, you have to be someone that people look to for style. Because otherwise you're doing merch. Yep. Which you don't need us to do merch. You yeah. can, anyone can do merch. Tried and true yeah. formulas already. Exactly. So along the way, I mean, 5.4 has been humming along, but you, you began investing yeah. outside of clothing and, and you got into the tech world. And I don't know if you want to talk about your affiliation with Queensbridge. Yeah. And we, I can cut that if that's not No, no, not no cool. totally fine. Dope. So how, how did you get into that world? I think the, the first, the 10 years ago, um, I got offered the first thing I was going to invest in, which was Uber. Uh, my buddy, Angelo, uh, a really close friend. Even in art? I even in art, yeah. Angelo Satira, uh, who I've known since I was 18 years old, uh, asked me, hey, Travis, who also went to Granada Hills High School, uh, huh. who I knew in college as well, we're starting this concept. It's a really hot concept in San Francisco. Um, I'm going to invest. I have a small allocation. Would you like to invest? And I really hadn't done anything like that before. And he was like, just split it with me. I was like, all right, let's meet the guy. Whatever. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm giving you money. Fine. I got <laughs> yeah. to meet you. Yeah. So I meet, I, I forget. I'm sure they're all billionaires now. Uh, whoever was at that first meeting. And they're telling us a concept. And I was like, oh, it's really interesting. I went to the first LA launch event they had. And, you know, I was really interested in doing it, but I didn't have like, enough disposable income where I was just like, ah, if I lose this, it's, it was like, it was meaningful money for me at that time, 25 grand. And anyways, I pass, fast forward, a year goes by and everyone I know up in San Francisco and New York is asking me for introductions to anybody at Uber to invest. And I was like, why? And he's like, this is the hottest company in the world. I was like, really? Yeah. Fuck, I was Damn right it. there. <laughs> yeah. And that's when... You know, my brother had, I think, wrote his first check at that point too, um, probably 10, you know, 10, 11 years ago as well. And so we were like, okay, we clearly have access. Why don't we see what else we can do? Yeah. Because I had already obviously passed on that. And then I had uh, became friends with a guy named Anthony Saleh. And Anthony was also writing checks, him and Nas. He managed Nas. And they were writing checks kind of, around town uh, on different projects and deals. So that's when we were all talk. We were just sitting and talking about it every single day. Like we were all writing checks and we we're like, why don't we all do it together? The four of us. So we formed a company named Queensbridge Venture Partners. And originally it was just our own money, but it was, the deal flow was so incredible that I was like, man, I can't write a check every week. Yeah. Like this is getting out of hand. And I have a business and yeah. I have all this other stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I, we, we were like, man, we wish we could write all these checks, but it was just too much. Like we just didn't have the cash at that time. So we ended up raising a fund kind of by default because people kept asking for all of our intros. And then finally a family office in Europe was like, we'll just give you the money. Yeah. Just do it for us. And that's how Queensbridge launched because someone kind of came to us with the money. And it's, it's been moderately successful, I'd <laughs> say. I mean, you're, you've been in a couple notable companies yeah. like, that have maybe IPO'd. Yeah, we've had a lot of exits. Uh, uh, Off the top of your head, name a couple. Yeah, Lyft, Ring, PillPack, um, Away. Uh, you know, every time we'll be... Uh, 
talking about some company on group chat and Anand's like, we're an investor. I'm like, we are? I was like, Geez. what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we've had like, it's the most insane portfolio. And obviously uh, we were early in the game in that, in that sense. Um, there was like a handful of people those days writing checks. Gary was out there writing checks. Yeah. Um, Ashton Kusher uh, and a couple other friends of mine were out there writing checks, but it, it was it was an amazing time. Yeah, because but but no one knew it was going to be like this. No way, no chance, no foresight whatsoever. Absolutely, it was, like it just not not that people weren't able to do. It. It's just it's gangbusters. It's insane. Yeah, it's insane what's happened. Yeah, and like now you couldn't do that today at that scale, but it, you know there's obviously more opportunity than ever. It's just that was just. We didn't even follow on on any round. Yep. We were like, why? Yeah, we did the same thing with our funds. <laughs> yeah, literally nothing. Not one company did we follow on with. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. If we had followed along, it'd probably be worth a billion dollars. Be crazy. <laughs> Hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Next fund. Crazy. But that's an interesting point. There, it's it's not the same as it was. It's it's pretty much parallel to 5.4 in the clothing industry where there aren't going to be these gangbuster funds, like these huge gargantuan funds that are going to yeah. pop up. I mean, Excel's pretty rooted. Andreessen's pretty rooted at this yeah. point. Like it's the who's who, and it's gonna be really tough to break through that. Yeah, to to have those kind of returns in because everyone's hip to the game now. The founders are hip to the game. The investors are hip to the game. There is endless money out there if yeah. you have a hot concept and endless dopey companies pitching. Yes, because the the number of people that I mean, not everyone should be a founder. Yeah, plain and simple. I yeah. mean, there just and not everyone should raise money for stuff, but. Since there's so much money, since there's so many people thinking entrepreneurship's cool, it's tough. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of shit to sift through. Every day when you get emailed, if you're on like Axios or Fortune's deal sheet, I mean, I've never heard of any of the companies. Days go by before I've heard of any of the companies. Yeah. And they're raising real money. Yeah. $8 million seed yeah. round. Yeah. You know, there's companies that raise nine figures that I've never heard of That's all the time. Insane. Absolutely insane. So investor, fashion mogul. Now, and I gave a hat tip to this, future Grammy Award winner. Yes. You got into the music game. Yeah. And with Good Morning, mm -hmm. check it out, Spotify, Apple, where, yeah. wherever you stream your music, D, D's out there. How did that come together? <laughs> so it was all part And what of, is it actually? Because it, it- So it, it really comes back to a larger story, which was a function of us struggling to grow two years ago, two and a half years ago now. And- me trying everything to shift our social media spend to other channels, television, podcast, all these things. And we were spending so much money and nothing was efficiently acquiring customers like this was, that social media did. And so I was like, man, if I had spent $10 million on making myself the, like the face of fashion, we would be doing way more business because I would have that. Like if I had Dan Blazarian myself, essentially, yeah. but in fashion and for what I wanted to do. And I wouldn't have had to spend anywhere near that kind of money. But if I had put all that time and effort early Instagram into doing that, I would have this huge following and that would have converted into subscriptions. I thought, why not go down that path? and figure this out, like figure out how to be the face of my brand. Cause if I figure it out, then I have that customer with me along the journey. And they're more likely, my view on commodity driven businesses like apparel is if you can't figure out why to connect with the customer, you're kind of dead in the water. Yeah, It's just about price then. So for us, I was like, what is the one emotional connection they have with us today? They treat us like a service, our customer. They they love it, but it's not invaluable. Like, you know, it's like, okay, uh, I want to save some money this month or I have enough clothes, I'm going to cancel. You wouldn't do that to your Equinox membership. You have an emotional, it's a social status. Yeah. If you cut your Equinox membership, that means you're broke. That means you're not hanging out with the, with the good looking people, the good crowd. So they have, they didn't do that purposely, but that's what it's become. And I look at I looked at my business. I'm like, how do I do it where you become part of a community, part of something that you never want to leave? And I came to the conclusion that it has to be around me. 
that I'm more likely to connect with more people than any celebrity influencer. It's my business at the end of the day and I care about it so much and this means so much to me that if I'm the one doing it, the customer will then connect with me. Because we live in a world today where you know the CEO of every brand you buy. Yep. If you don't know them, you probably don't buy that brand. Or you have some connection with those types of brands or there's an interesting story about it. So I was like, how do I get out there? And so I'm like, I'm gonna try everything. I'm going to try a podcast. I'm going to try vlogging. I'm going to try posting more on Instagram. I'm going to learn how to DJ. I'm like, I'm going to get attention somehow. Because I know once I can get the attention and people discover me as a human being, they should be able to relate to me. You know, yeah, you know in some way, shape, or form. In some way, shape, or form, you'll be able to relate to me. And that's why, you know, the run club and then the challenges, it's like, there's got to be something yeah. that you have Please. that I do. I'm a dad yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> that I do that connects with you, and that led me down to eventually making a song that I started on last October, and I hit up a friend of mine who's a music producer who also went to Granada Hills High School, and the I was like, mafia. yeah, it, it, and I was like, hey man, I want to release a song. Will you help me? He's like, hell yeah. He's like, do you have an idea? And I told him, I want to do a song uh, dedicated to my son called Good Morning because that's like the best part of my day, seeing him in the morning. He's like, great. What is it? What do you want it to sound like? So I gave him all these reference songs like marshmallow songs and like stuff like that. Like I want it to be positive, happy, kind of like wake up, dance type of feel. So he's like, great. Let me go work on a beat. And he's like, who's going to sing it? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, I have this really great singer songwriter in my, my uh, studio today who also went to Granada Hills High School. He's like 22 years old. Come meet him. I come down. He's down to do, write the song. I sit in the studio. They write the song in like three hours. This dude, Brando, had this, he has this huge dance record called Body by Loud Luxury that like was going up the charts. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. But I'm in the midst of a deal and like, for me to sing it, it would be kind of difficult because I got to go through some yeah. ho hoops. So he's like, if you have someone else to sing it, you should do that. I'm like, okay. So I called Jay Sean, who's a longtime friend of mine, who's a pop singer. And I'm like, hey, man, do you mind singing this song for me? <laughs> and it was like even hard for me to ask because it's such a ridiculous ask. Yeah. He's like, of course, bro. I'm like, really? He's like, okay. Next time in LA, I'll record it. He ends up coming to LA like, I don't know, two months later. Comes to LA, we record it, and I think six weeks later I put it out. So cool. Yeah. I was so surprised when when you post on like, oh, this is good prank. Yeah. And I listen, I was like, oh, this is this is real. Yeah. And at first, like yeah. I thought you were singing, like yeah. a lot of people do. Yeah. It's not D singing, but it is D song. Yeah. So that that's a thing. And I mean, to your point, you have you do have two podcasts. I mean, yeah. you have group chat, you have detour. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've been a, doing a great job on Instagram, much better job. I aspire to be as good as you. I mean, you respond to every message. Like yeah. you're in there. Yeah. I definitely don't even do that. I don't have nearly as many people watching me. Yeah. Like you're, you're definitely doing it. Yeah. And I think the way I look at it is I, I, uh, view building a brand like running for president. And I, I always tell the story cause it's been imprinted in my head for so long. When Bill Clinton was running for president, CNN was interviewing some uh, uh, lady and I was watching this like in the 90s and they were like, why are you going to vote for Bill Clinton? As I met him. Yep. He's a and nice like, guy. Are you a Republican or Democrat? She's like, eh, kind of Republican. But I met him and I was like, oh shit. He shook my hand. I'm just going to go meet everybody. I'm going to connect with everyone. And with the internet, you can literally do that. So imagine... You're someone in Chicago and I was just there. So I'm using this as an example. I said, hey, where should I eat? I got a hundred DMs. Where should I eat? I responded to all of them. And I said, cool, I'll check it out. Check it out. I ended up going to some restaurant and those people have a connection with me now. Now they're going to be more engaged in everything I do. Yep. And so that's really. How do you approach when they want to join the meal with you? How do you, how do you scale that? So, have you found a good way yet? Well, I, I think the run club is the real way how I do that. So when I go somewhere, I say, hey, if you want to meet up with me, come run. And I do that because running is a filter, right? If I said, come have a drink with me at a bar, like a place like New York or LA, where I know 
a lot of the people that engage with me live. It's really, really hard for me to just do stuff and not get too many people where it becomes kind of pointless. But running is at one level of a filter that are you going to change, put on your running shoes, get your ass outside and run on a street with me? Yeah. If you're willing to do that, I'll give you my time all day. And that to me is how I feel like I can scale the physical interaction of it. Um, and I was telling my wife this literally this morning. I said, the run club is going to be the greatest thing I ever do. What is happening in the LA run club is so powerful. The businesses, the, the, the partnerships, even the opportunities I've gotten. Like I got a Microsoft brand ambassador deal through the run club. That's amazing. The PR company that reps them, the, the guy runs with us every Saturday for two years. He pitched me to Microsoft. Wow. Another opportunity that I'm working on. Another, like I have four opportunities just run club related because we built this trust and I know I see them every Saturday. Like there is a guilt for anyone in our core group to not show up on Saturday. Yeah. Like everyone apologizes for not showing up. Yeah, I'm so sorry, but it's yeah. my wife's birthday today and yeah. I, I couldn't cancel it. Yeah, I mean like I'll literally like only leave if I'm traveling for work on Saturday afternoon because I want to go to run club. I take my son. It's a thing. Yeah. It's like, it's going to be something that like in some shape or form will exist hopefully forever. That's amazing. And that is like the real power of like connecting with people. And everyone told me, why are you doing the run club? That's the one thing that can't scale. Yeah. The podcast can scale. Instagram can scale. And the run club though is the most powerful thing I do. And even though it's like, 30, 40 people on a given Saturday. I mean, we've gotten- That's still, that's a squad. Yeah, and like sometimes on a on the Saturdays in New York City, if I'm there, like, you know, we had a nice turnout yeah. the last time I was there. But you meet, it's just such a different relationship. You just ran with them. You connect with them afterwards. I don't know. Well, that's, that's the first time we ever sat down is after I showed up to Run Club. Yeah. It was like, I changed, I showed up. Yeah. Went for the run. Like, okay, this guy's serious. Great. Yeah, and that's what it really comes down to. Because everyone says they want to do these things. Everyone says they want to be an entrepreneur, start a business, do whatever. But like, what effort are you willing to put? I would do anything to meet like someone like myself when I was 22. If all I had to do is run. Yeah, I'm done. I, I literally don't understand if you wanted to work for us, you should just show up to Run Club every Saturday. By the way, someone did that and got hired yesterday. Huh. What do you know? Yeah. That's and amazing. I, I, I'm going to like do a whole thing about it. And this guy moved from Utah because of group chat, showed up to LA one day. He's pushing a stroller, a little baby, his wife. He goes for the run and he's like, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, sure. He's like, I just want to let you know I moved out here because of you. I was like, whoa. Damn. I just, I was like, that's, that's heavy. Wow. And you know, cause he's a young family and, and he's like, I'm finishing up fit him. And listening to the podcast made me realize if I want to be in fashion in LA, I have to move here and I want to work for you. He interned for the last couple of months, didn't have a position. He, gra he, he graduated on Monday. I called him Monday night and said, I have a job for you. And now he's starting. There it is. Thanks for running. Yeah. That's incredible. That's insane. And, and, and like, if you, so, but still most people won't take advantage of it. Yeah. You know? No, they won't. They won't. They yeah. won't show up. There's so many things that like I wanted to I wanted to meet some people in Paris the other day and they were they were having an event. I went to it. And guess what? I got to talk to the person I want to talk to within five minutes. Because yeah. I was at the window. He's like, Oh wow, you showed up. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Cool. I think I'm gonna steal a run club from you and I'll probably I'll do it on Sunday so there's no conflict ever. <laughs> no, so, you should no, you yeah. should do it in I New York I'm on gonna, Saturday. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that from you for it's sure. It's so powerful because it also is, you know, when people's bodies change, your mind changes. They don't realize that. Truly. I mean, I, fitness, fitness has always kind of been important to me to a point, but then I went down this dark path where I had a separate food Instagram, yeah. grew it. It's like little micro influencer ish, yeah. but I got into a head place where I was eating two dinners some nights because I needed the photo the content, at this new yeah. fucking restaurant yeah. and I gained a ton of weight. And then uh, December to April of this year, I lost 35 pounds, changed my diet, like started running, did yoga, boxing, everything. Yeah. Changed how I feel. And me as a business person completely changed. 
Like yeah. I'm, I'm on a whole different level now. Yeah. And, and I it's think insane. And people always tell me, oh, you're so busy. I'm like, yeah, I'm busy, but I know people busier. Yep. Always. Like, Anthony's busier than me. Anthony's the busiest person I've ever met. And I could text him anytime. He's, he'll hit me back in five seconds. He'll, uh, Anthony Saleh, he's our partner in Queensbridge. And I'm, I can't wrap my head around Anthony because he, same, th I'm, I'm not close with him by any means. Yeah. Invited me to his 30th birthday party, yeah. like, which was insane by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and will hit me back within 10 minutes yeah. unless he's asleep. And he doesn't sleep. Crazy. Even we were out all night in Paris last Saturday, got home at six in the morning and I'm at, I wasn't planning on working out that day. And I hit him. He's up early. He's working out. He's like, I'll see you in lunch in an hour. He's doing business seven days a week. He's work. I mean, there's time to do everything. Yeah. And so if you can't show up to a run club on a Saturday, yep. I can't take you seriously. Right. Straight up. A couple of things before I let you go. Yeah. Anything, anything you want to promote, like that's coming up for 5-4 or anything? Uh, when is this coming out? This is coming out, uh, I would say July 16th. Okay, so we would be halfway through our 75-mile run challenge. So in July, we're challenging all of our kind of followers and customers to run 75 miles. So if you're engaged to do that, you could do it in 16 days. Yeah. Easily, oh, 14 truly. days. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's an important thing. It's changed a lot of people's lives doing that challenge. And people have become running addicts after that. And so that's something that's super important to me. Uh, obviously, check out group chat and detour the podcast. I think I think you'll find them useful. I'll throw so, them in the, the notes. And uh, that's it. Check me out on Instagram, dmurthy. Dope. Last question. What's your life motto or mantra that's gotten you through thick and thin? Um, I think the... It's really about karma. So there would be years where I struggled to make money. Years. Or even even recently, my wife couldn't wrap my head around why I do stuff for people for no money. And I was like, it's just who I am. I can't, I can't help it. I, I don't know any other way to do it. I'm not going to just ask people. So she was like, even my mom was like, why do you do that? Why do you, why do you ask for money? Recently... Something happened where I got rewarded very well off of helping somebody. And I didn't ask for a penny. And I was like, I'm going to do it on my terms. And I think that's what, what I've realized is that karma comes in many different ways. You treat people well, you will get rewarded. I don't know when. Yeah. Don't know how. It'll come around. It, at some point in your life. And like I was telling my wife, I'm like, it came in the form of our child. Would you rather have billion dollars or the child we have? And yeah. she's like, child we have. I'm like, well, there you go. We he's got dope. rewarded. Yeah, he's a dope kid. And I said, that's how you get rewarded. And I think for me, I'm extremely patient. I, when I launch a brand, I'm thinking it's going to take 10 years. I'm not expecting a near-term success. So I think patience, karma always plays itself into the the game. And you could, it may wait, you may wait till you're 50 or 60 but it's okay. Yeah. We had a long life. You don't want to have all the fun in the beginning. Right. Extended. Exactly. Thank you for doing this, D. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. We definitely covered a lot on that episode, and, and hopefully you can take some nuggets away from D's experience building his own personal brand and all the things that he has his hands in, in the business world and just tips and tricks. I, I think it's super valuable and I really appreciate him taking the time out of his day to, to talk with me and share his story and his plans for the future with me and, and you as well. So thank you again for listening. Five stars on iTunes, follow me on Spotify, tell your friends, tag me on Instagram, get it out there. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Tartar Tuesdays.